You're listening to Rockland Community Church, connecting all generations to Jesus. Well, in just a moment, I'll invite you to get out your Bibles, and you can start going if you want. It'll be a few minutes. We're going to be in 2 Timothy for a few minutes today. We're talking about um, digging into um, the Word of God, to understanding the Word of God. Ephesians 6 says this. I got an email from someone this week. It kind of fired me up about um, armoring up. Ephesians 6, it says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. If you want to armor up and understand how to stand in the time in which we find ourselves, we have to know the word of God. We have to know the Bible. So I'm going to take a little risk here. Let's start with something a little creative. Maybe. I will see. Um, Liken your Bible knowledge, your, um, your, your adeptness at handling the Bible to skiing, to skiing, all right? Think about it like this. So you might think, oh, well, I guess I'd be, uh, feel like I'm, I'm a green. Maybe, maybe I still feel like I'm still taking lessons. Like I feel like I've, maybe you're new to the faith or I just have so much to learn. Or maybe you go, I'm kind of this blue cruiser that, you know, I can, I can, I can do it. Uh, I feel like I know it pretty well, but gosh, I'm, I'm definitely not skiing blacks when it comes to understanding this thing. Or some of you are like, you know, yeah, blindfold me, drop me off a helicopter out in the middle of nowhere. Like I feel so comfortable. I've been studying the Bible my whole life. Or you, you might even be thinking like, I sort of feel like I'm there. I'm, I'm just out there. I was at Loveland last week. I'm, I'm out at Loveland and I'm watching and I'm getting my hot chocolate and I'm just looking and sure looks like everybody's having a good time getting on the lifts and shooshing down the slope. I, I can't do that, but, but they can. And um, some people may be, you might be all over the map. You might have the yard sale and everything's flung all over the thing. You know, this is the, this is the conversation. This is, this is a good time to just be honest about where we are in understanding our Bible. We got to start there. Now, it's ironic I'm using skiing. I'm not a very good skier. I can do greens fine. I can usually do blues just fine, but then I'm, I'm kind of tapped out. I can sometimes, I can do some blacks, but not much because um, I don't ski properly because I ski back on my heels like this, and I dig in, which if you want to have a good time, go skiing with me on a windy day when I'm leaned back on my heels, and then a gust of wind comes up, and then I'm cruising along, and then it hits, and then I got to come, oh yeah, lean forward, forward, forward. I also, I break, like as I'm doing that, I break real hard, so my legs are just feel like they're on fire when I get down a simple run, and skiing with some like 70-year-old guy is like, what's wrong? You know? And I'm down there just feeling like I'm on fire. And so when I tell you those things, I'm saying that, you know, I can do greens, I can do blues, I can do a few blacks, but not much, and they're not fun for me. And you would probably say, well, I know why, Jim, is because you have a technique issue. You're doing it incorrectly. You need to learn how to carve instead of how to break. You need to learn how to be kind of forward instead of all your weight back on your heels. And you're just going to be kind of this blue cruiser unless if you want to do blacks, which I don't really care to, but um, if, you, if, uh, if you want to do blacks, you're going to have to change your technique. And so when I think about some people here and you're talking about reading the Bible, we talk about maybe I'm the green, maybe I'm the blue, maybe I'm the black, wherever it is to get to that next level, one of the things I've found in 20-something years of doing ministry is that people forget or we, we forget to teach techniques to get you to that next level. 
And so while I don't want to take anything supernatural out of this, as though if you just go do these three things, then you're going to be fine, it really is. This is God's holy word. This is something uh, the Holy Spirit helps us understand what it says. And then at the same time, there's practical things that we need to do, techniques that we need to learn in order to grow in our faith. When it comes to reading the Bible, please know this. You can ski blacks. I promise. You can. You might not feel like you can right now, and that may make you feel like, well, I can't ever, but you can. God wants you to know him. He wants you to know his word, and you can do it. And sometimes we just need the right techniques to be able to do it. Not just, we add that. We need the right techniques to be able to do it. And do we need Christians that can ski black, so to speak, right now more than perhaps ever and where we live? All right, let's armor up a little bit today and figure out uh, how to do this. There's two techniques that I've found in, in doing the you know, ministry for at least the years that I've done that people um, need to hear and maybe just be reminded of. And we'll do one this week and one next week. We read the Bible in community and we read the Bible in context. We read the Bible in community and we read the Bible in Context. Those are two techniques that we need, and today we're going to focus on community, and then next week we'll focus a little bit on context and what that means. How do you read the Bible and understand the Bible in its context? We're talking about reading it in community this week. I have a, um, a men's author that I read a book that absolutely changed my life, and now I don't recommend him at all. Because um, between the time he wrote the book and then he said this thing, and what he said was that he left the church, and it's the best thing that ever happened to him. It's the best decision he ever made. He went by himself and he went out and like, like in the wilderness, like camped and took his family out and they just isolated from the entire world and from everybody. And he said, it was the most spiritual thing I've ever done in my life. And they, they did it apparently for some years. And he made the same mistake that a lot of us make, which is he, he left the community of God. He went out in public. That's usually not the mistake we make. He's out there in like this tent. And, um, and then he looked and said, I seem to be doing fine. And since I seem to be doing spiritually fine, therefore my decision was a good one. It was about, about feelings and about perception instead of obedience to the word of God. And the word of God says we learn in community. I'll... I'll show you this here as we get going through this. We're Westerners, so we're very individualistic. We build fences. We don't have front porches. We got back porches and decks and things like that or property, so there's a lot of space between us and the people around us. There's uh, temptations a lot of us have about, I don't need anybody besides me. I should be able to figure out life all on my own, and we are pushed towards this individualism and isolation. We have... Um, we're so busy that we value tasks over the relationship of the community. In fact, you go to somebody's house, like, like even just calling them, don't you just feel like, oh gosh, I, I'm sure I'm bothering them. I remember we were in, when I was in Cuba, we were, on, we were doing a mission trip, and I was like, well, what are we doing? We had a break, and the guy's like, well, I said, what are we doing today? And he goes, we'll just, we'll just go say hi to people. And we just like wandered up and like would knock on friends' doors and walk in and like talk with them and stuff. And that's just like, because I, I just said, just let's do whatever it is that you do. And he's like, we just walk to people's houses and knock on the door and go in and hang out with them. And I was like, really? You're not going to bother them? They're not going to be like upset or offended or busy that you're there? No, it's just kind of what we do. Oh, but, mm. Don't you feel bad like bothering somebody? I mean, some people hesitate to go, you want to go grab a cup of coffee or you want to go get dinner? 
because they're going, golly, they're going to have to use one of their few nights they have now to go be with me. Like, like we have become radically individualistic. Our phones haven't helped us with this either, have they? All our technology, it's not uncommon to be in a house. We have a family of five. It's not uncommon for, say, a family of five to be in five separate rooms on five different devices. That's where we are as a community, and this can drive us to loneliness and can drive us to isolation. That's the cultural narrative that we're living in. And what does the Bible say about growing and understanding the word in community? The Bible's very clear that, yes, we are. We grow in community. We grow as individuals, but we are not called to grow in isolation. That's the distinction. We are to grow as individual Christians, and we gather as the community, but we are not called to go and grow in isolation as though we don't need anybody else. Let me show this to you. Let me start in the Old Testament and show you that we're not, we are supposed to grow as individuals, but normative for the people of God is that the word of God is spoken, and then it is explained or taught so that the people can know how to be obedient to what God has just said. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 31. Then Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them at the end of every seven years, at the set time in the year of release, at the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing." Listen to this. Assemble them, assemble the people, men, women, and little ones, and the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God and be careful to do all the words of this law. And it says, pass it down. This is normative generation to generation, that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land that you're going over the Jordan to possess. What did they do? They had the law of God. They would gather, it would be read, and then it would say, now we're explaining this so we know what to do. This is pre-printing press. I understand this. Um, <clears throat> but you would gather, read, and be taught. Josiah was a king, and in 2 Chronicles 34, there was a big reforms going on in the nation. And it says, the, and they found, uh, they had found some of the, they call it the Book of the Covenant, probably at least Deuteronomy, maybe the first five books. And Josiah, the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the priests and the Levites, all the people, both great and small. And he read in their hearing all the words of the Book of the Covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And it goes on to say they were explained so that the people could obey, so that there could be reforms in the nation. A couple weeks ago, I read from Nehemiah chapter 8. If you were here, you might remember because I closed my Bible and then I opened it. And when I opened it, everybody just, I didn't say anything, everybody stood. And because we were um, mirroring what happened back in that day, it was people gathered. The Bible is opened, and in that case, Ezra stood up and he read the word of God to the community, and then it says people taught and explained what it meant and how to be obedient. Well, that's the Old Testament, but that's Old Testament. What did Jesus say? Jesus, there's so many examples of this. Let me just give you one. Um, Luke chapter 4 uh, says this, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, this is during his ministry, and a report about him went out throughout the surrounding country. And look what he did. He taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. 
And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, as was his custom. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. That was the custom. You would stand up, the word of God is read, and then to teach, more often than not, you would sit as an indication that this, what I just told you, are the words of God, and now I'm going to sit to explain to you what it meant. Verse 16, and he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. Oh, sorry, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. He stood up to read. Verse 17, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, and set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, speaking the word of God to them. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down, now to teach. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he, it says, began to say to them, which means he began to teach them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So what's normative? You have the word of God spoken and then explained so that we might know how we can be obedient to it. That is what the community of God is for. Now, the Old Testament, I'll give you a quick uh, pneumatology. It's called the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, you have the Holy Spirit would come upon people for, uh, in certain instances to be supernaturally used by God. And then in the New Testament, what it says is um, Jesus tells his disciples that there will be the, the helper that will come later, the Holy Spirit. And in 1 Corinthians, we see that every believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. So somebody might think, well, in the Old Testament, they didn't have the Holy Spirit, the indwelling Spirit, and now in the New Testament, they do, so now we can go live out in this isolation. And in the, um, in the New Testament, Every single book, I went through it, every single book in the New Testament, I can find a y'all, okay? I can find a you plural spoken to the church. The New Testament, especially like the book of Acts, what are they doing? They're going, planting these local churches, and what do they do? They go and they proclaim the word of God where people are gathered, and qualified teachers get up and explain what it means so the people can respond in obedience. That's what happens over and over and over. And all throughout the New Testament, you start reading letters and you start going, oh, this is supposed to be read out loud to the community. The reason we don't see it is because it's usually in the intro or the outro of the letter. Hey, I'm Paul and I'm writing from blah, blah, blah. And then at the end, he says, say hi to so-and-so. And we go, okay. And we like ignore those and we just do the body of it. But like one example from Colossians chapter four, he's ending his letter and he says, and when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. This letter is to be read among the church. Normative in the New Testament is you read the word of God, you read it out loud, and then it's explained so that we as a people of God might be obedient. Now, um, a couple favorite books for us pastors especially are First and Second Timothy. And the reason why we love them is because the, um, uh, Timothy was a protege of Paul who was a pastor at Ephesus. So in the New Testament, we see four different letters written to this church. You've got First and Second Timothy, that's because he's the pastor there. You have the book of Ephesians, and then the book of Revelation. It's one of the churches that is mentioned in the book of Revelation as well. 
And so Paul is writing to this younger guy, Timothy, to tell him, here's how you be a pastor. So pastors love this. So I'll show you a little bit for me, but we won't dwell there long, I promise. And then we'll get to you and what your responsibility is. Wrote two letters. First Timothy 4.13 says, until I come, Paul writing to this pastor, devote yourselves, be dedicated to, and it says, the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Public reading is going, this is the source of truth. Teaching is explaining what it means. Exhortation is saying, here's how you obey this. This is normative for the people of God. And the way we learn the Bible is we gather as God's people here. We gather as God's people in homes. We have all sorts of different venues, but we gather under the word of God. If you want to grab a Bible, you can. I'm going to be in 2 Timothy 4 here for a few minutes today. 2 Timothy chapter 4. I want to show you especially, um, uh, flesh this idea out just a little bit, and then also talk about our communal responsibility in this. 2 Timothy chapter 4. So this is Paul writing, again, to this young pastor, Timothy, about how to lead this big church in Ephesus. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itch, having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry." This is generally the text that they read to seminary grads, and you can, especially those of us that go into preaching, you can, you can see why. In verse one, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom, that's how he starts it. He's saying, I charge you, and he charges them in the highest possible way that he, or charges Timothy in the highest possible way that he can. When I do, uh, when I do weddings and we do wedding vows, you might notice, if you ever see one, you might notice two things. Number one, when it's the I, Jim, take you, Nikki, to be my, uh, I, Jim, take you, Nikki, to be my wife, to have and to hold this day, whatever it is, um, I say it and then they repeat it. All right, one is I err on the side of brevity. I will go, I, Jim, I, Jim, because I did it once and I, I basically said, I, Jim, take you, Nikki, to be my lawfully wedded wife. And he went, uh, I, line, and it took a second. So I, I do them very brief, and then I end the vows with, I've made these promises to you in the name of the Father, and I pause, and in the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Because what we're saying is you are entering into this covenant with this woman, and you are saying this, uh, you, you, are, you are binding it in the highest way possible. And you are entering into the covenant with this covenant with this man, and you are binding it in the highest way possible. I swear to it in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, in the name of the triune God, I will do what I have promised to you today. I don't know a higher way to have the promises happen. And what Paul's doing here is he's saying, I am charging you in the highest possible way that I can. 
I charge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. He's the ultimate judge and uh, his appearing in his kingdom. He's the ultimate judge, the ultimate king. And I'm gonna charge you with something, Timothy. And what does he say? Preach the word. Preach the word. The word for preach is kerygma, and it also can mean herald. Herald, not like a guy named Harry said formally. That's not what it means. It means herald, H-E-R-A-L-D, a herald. Herald the logos, herald the word of God. You know what a herald was in that day? A herald was people going usually through very difficult times, and somebody would come and herald or be a herald, of some news of a king that is distant, meaning they're in hard times and somebody comes in and says, I know you don't see him right now, but there is a king and this king wants me to deliver this good news to you today. That's a good definition of what we're supposed to be when I stand up here, when Dennis is up here, when someone's up here, that to stand here and to go, I know times are really difficult for many people. And even if God feels like he's sort of behind a cloud or tough to see right now, hear the good news of God and what he has done for us. That's what he says. He says, do that, Timothy. And you might go like, why would anybody, that sounds great. Why why does he have to tell him to do that? He says, be ready in season and out of season. No matter if things are great, no matter if things are not going so hot. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, okay? Preach the word. You bring the good news of the word of God, and then you teach, and then you approve, rebuke, exhort. You show us how to obey. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. This is my favorite illustration of itching because they will have itching ears that people will walk around and my, my ears itch. I want somebody to say something to scratch this itch for me. You know what this means? This means that there are Christians that go live in the world where we we are and forget that we're in the kingdom of heaven. And so as a result, we go, I'm trying to be a Christian, yet at the same time, I feel like such an outcast in the world. And, And instead of going, those two are going to be at times in great opposition to each other, we'll go, I want to find somebody that can tell me if I compromise a little bit here and compromise a little bit here and I'm silent over here, that therefore I am okay. That's not what God calls us to. God says you're aliens, you're, you're strangers, you will be different in the world. But oftentimes, I feel it too, we get itching ears to go, somebody, please just tell me that my compromising so I can just fill in, fit in a little bit more even. I want that to feel good. That's the dissonance that I feel right now. And Paul tells Timothy, he says, there's gonna be people that are gonna feel that way. And your job isn't to scratch itching ears Your job is to be a herald of the good news of Jesus Christ. This is better, by the way. Um, I don't know, 20 years ago, something like that, if, if a pastor were to stand up in the pulpit and say, God's design for sex is between a man and a woman in the covenant relationship of marriage. A lot of people, especially where I was in the South, would be like, yeah, move on and go to the next thing. Now, just to say that from the pulpit can create some, ooh, but the, the culture says different things. Should we be speaking that or not? Can I submit to you that the church should speak loudly about issues, graciously, lovingly, but should say this is the truth of God. Amen. So what has changed? 
Well, the truth of God hasn't changed, but the world has changed. And so if we come in with itching ears and that's how we live our life of just, I want to try and I've got to, I've got to be a Christian, but I also, I want friends and I want this life and I want these things. It's, it's basically just saying I am at the whims of culture to change this to meet some need in me because we feel that dissonance, don't we? And we're walking in the culture and we feel like aliens, the Bible says. We feel like strangers, and so we love, they read this to pastors and they go, don't you, ever, don't you ever scratch itching ears? And then they hammer us for it and we go, okay, we won't scratch itching ears. But there's something else in here that I think is really important because that's my job. But there's another part to this, which is your responsibility. Or if I'm sitting out there, my responsibility. And it's quite simply said, don't have itching ears, have open ears. Don't have itching ears, have open ears. If you are going to learn the Bible in community and all you're doing is just trying to find somebody to just affirm everything you already think, every, every last political thing, you see every single issue the exact same way, you better reinforce everything or I know those hot buttons and I'm out of here kind of thing. We come to the communal gathering when we preach the word of God and we have open ears, not itching ears. When you're sitting in somebody's house, we have open ears, not itching ears. We learn in the community where the scripture's taught, but we come with open ears. How do we get itching ears? I don't know who to credit this to, but I've heard it multiple times and everybody I hear just goes, you know, this like very was famously said and nobody ever says who said it. So I can't give credit to this, but I want to. Um, <clears throat> one man, famously, apparently, said that a lot of Christians, the problem is we walk around carrying two Bibles. We walk around carrying two Bibles. Now, the problem is there's one Bible. And what he's meaning by this is we carry around the Bible, the actual Bible, and then there is something else that we tend to carry that we say, I also want to give this authority in my life. And then he goes on to say that eventually what happens is this will trump this and push the actual Bible away. And so the real trick is to figure out how do I let go of this? I'll give you examples to help this make a little bit of sense here. So I'll speak as a parent. <clears throat> You've got the Bible about how we raise kids, but then there's this other thing that we give authority to, which could be, I want the approval of my kids. I want the approval of my kids' friends. I, I want harmony with my maybe adult children for some of you. So why is it that um, parents can raise their kids to say, I want them to be good at every single thing in life and we'll sprinkle some faith in there along the way? Like rubber meets the road and you go, am I gonna have them regularly gathered at the church learning the word of God or like my family, baseball, softball, and dance? What's happening? I see what the Bible says, but at some point I go, I, I, want, I don't wanna be, be the mean parent. I wanna, I wanna give my kid a fun life, a good life. Like I've got something else over here I'm holding on to that is giving me permission to do something uh, at maybe out of lines with the Bible. I, man, I, where we lived in, in Dallas, we had, it was such a pull from parents. Like if you've seen Mean Girls and Amy Poehler's like, I'm the cool mom. Like we straight up saw that. Like it was the, the parents going out and buying the booze and trying to be like the cool, great parent. And I'm not gonna do anything with my kid. I'm never gonna challenge them, anything like that. Because what they were doing is some authority they had gathered was I want to be liked and affirmed and esteemed by my children. 
So you've got the Bible that says you're a parent, and then this over here, this thing that says, I want to be esteemed by my kid, I want to be their friend. And what this guy says is, you got to learn to drop this. Otherwise, this is something we've created. This will call us to repentance. And so what happens? Eventually, the weight of this pushes the scriptures out. What does the Bible say? The Bible talks about, unless you hate your father and mother, which really means to love them less. We'll get there when we talk about it in Luke. If your family is divided, you're brought into a new family, his community of believers, the church. Or we have this other thing over here that sometimes we just call the good life. I've heard people justify, I'm going to leave my spouse for someone else because there's just not a spark there like there used to be, and I'm entitled to have this good life. I'm going to go, I'm going to neglect my family, I'm just going to make as much money as humanly possible because I'm entitled to the good life. And there's somewhere we've gotten this idea that an authority in our life is this right to have the good life. And sometimes the Bible calls us to martyrdom. And so what happens over time, if we don't drop this, is this just starts to push it out. And we start to see the world through this authority of living a good life. Why, why, would, um, why would young people make some of the decisions that they do? Why would um, maybe a girl in high school or a young woman in college, why would she give in to sexual advances she doesn't want from a young man? Why do young people, why would there be such rampant drug use and alcoholism? And I mean, you could just go through everything to say, what if I get caught? What if I go to jail? What if my parents find out? What if this is bad for me? What if something bad happens? Why would they do that? And the reason is, is because sometimes there's another authority that is, I want to fit in. I want to fit in. And so if I, if I have to break some of this in order to fit in over here, I've created these two authorities in my life. And a kid needs to learn, parents and adults, for that matter, us too, to be able to go, I, I may not fit in. I'm never promised that I'm going to fit in. In fact, I'm promised quite the opposite. And we say the Bible is the word of God. And the Bible says you are approved by God. You are, if you are in Christ Jesus, you are complete and whole and loved in him. That's the counter to it. A couple other <clears throat> just quick examples. Some people have over here our, whatever our political affiliation is as ultimate. Careful. What about during COVID right now, walking through COVID? There's some people that see everything, that have given fear the authority in their life. There's some people that have given a spirit of rebellion against you know, anything, uh, like wear a mask. Like The spirit of rebellion is the thing that dominates their life. And instead of thinking of it biblically, we've created another lens by which we see these issues. And somehow we've got to go, Lord, help me put this down and let me just look at your word or my plans for life. This is probably a tough one for me. These are my plans. I've got them. Oh, yeah, I have the Bible. And over time, what happens is my plans start to become very important. Sometimes the calling of God in our life, God wants to just kind of wreck us to be able to bring us closer to him. Well, that doesn't really fit in with the plans that I had for, for my life. The Bible is the word of God. But one way to think of it is just to say, if there's something else over here to say, where would I compromise to keep this? Where would I sin to keep this? If we think, you know, I'm entitled to, um, if I'm entitled to this good life over here, if that's our authority, that's, that's the lie we've bought, that that's, that's, what we're, that's what we're owed is a good life and we get to create it however we want and God just better be okay with it. If we've got this authority of a good life over here, then go be unethical with your money. Just get as much as you possibly can. Why wouldn't you? 
or uh, somebody that just goes, I just really want a day off. Oh, you know what? I could call in sick. Because if I just call in and say, I might have COVID, they're going to go, oh my gosh, stay away. Right? Here's God's plan for how we understand his word. God wants to be known, and he's written it down for us in his word. We need the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the spirit-indwelt community of God to know it fully and therefore to know him more fully. God has appointed leaders and teachers in the church accountable, listen to this, accountable to a plurality of leadership whose main criteria for eldership is godliness. That's it. It's not money. It's not, are you really connected? It's not how smart are you? What's your education? It's godliness. The spirit and dwelt body of believers provides additional accountability. Do you know that? That you provide additional accountability. Me standing up and knowing I'm not the only one qualified to interpret this thing is great accountability. It's great accountability. The pastor comes with no desire to scratch itching ears and the congregation leaves their itching ears at the door. And we gather to hear how to live counterculturally and expose the lies of the enemy that would otherwise have us fooled. Big question is, does this actually work? Does this idea of learning in community actually work? Two quick examples. Um, the, the short answer is yes. Uh, <clears throat> my, um, I have a men's Bible study on Tuesdays, and when uh, many of you know Pastor Ken that was here for 30 years right before me, and he said, I've got this Tuesday morning Bible study, and I was like, that sounds great. I'll probably teach that. And he goes, it's 7 a.m. And I went, it's when now? 7 a.m. At the time, I'd be like, I'd, you know, I'd wake up the crack of 9. And... Um, <clears throat> And now it's like one of my favorite things to, to do. I love it. And we gather. And I, I think I've probably at times in six years stopped down and said, here's how you understand the Bible. You read it through the lens of the gospel. I'm sure I've had maybe three or four times over the course of six years that I've actually stopped down and said that. However, every single week when I'm teaching, it comes back to that. I'll just say something like, so where do we see the gospel in this? Where do we see the love of God in this? Where do we see our sin and brokenness in this? Where do we see the grace of God shown through Jesus Christ in this? And so those men that gather, if they've been there for a while, even though we haven't like given them a handout and walked through, you know, exactly how it works, they may not remember those. I bet you almost every man in that room would be able to understand the Bible and has learned to look at the Bible with gospel eyes because over and over and over. That's what we're saying. That's how the community shapes us to know the word of God. Does it work? Yes, there's one example. You know how we really know that this works? You have Old Testament Israel, and then Jesus is on the scene, and what happens? Our Savior is crucified on a cross. That's where this started. This movement of the church, that's where it started. And a lot of the guys that he had following him bolted. That's where this thing started. And the church has gone through years and years and years and decades, centuries, really, of persecution, of people trying to say, this is good, but let's scratch itching ears. Let's sort of add to it. Let's compromise on the truth. And what do we keep coming back to? The truth of God revealed through his word. It works. 
that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, and said, I'm starting this thing, the local church, and he lays out how I just laid it out for you. Here's how it's supposed to work. And it's a highly supernatural thing that happens. And so very, very simply, we are supposed to come into church with open ears and be under teaching, and we learn the Bible in community so that we can go and learn it as individuals as well. And so, Father, as we do, as we're here and we're gathered and we have just heard your word, I do pray that people can be exhorted and uplifted, especially in this time. God, help, help, us, uh, help us ski blacks when it comes to reading the word. Help us get there. May that not feel like an insurmountable obstacle to people. Father, as we take communion today, may we be reminded of Christ giving his body, shedding his blood that we might have life in him. Thank you for this thing that started at the cross and spread through the disciples, through the apostles, down through the ages to us here today. May we be faithful in passing it on generation to generation. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.